words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This past week I made a, an important and sad trip to El Salvador, a short trip, to go to the memorial service of one of my oldest and dearest friends who died suddenly about a week and a half ago. It was a good trip because it was good to be, be with people who knew Rafa and knew the work that he had done, and it was good to be with friends to, to cry and to remember. <coughs> and one of the things that happened during that trip, which was not so deep or dramatic, was that I was reminded of a, an odd cultural phenomenon in El Salvador. And it's that there is this song, and the song was popular when I first went there in 1987. It was popular when I first met Rafa in 1992, and it was all over the place when I was there just yesterday. And the song is from a, the North American band, The Eagles. And it's just all over the place. People know the lyrics, or sort of, they, you know, there's some of that where sometimes they hear something like me and you'll be singing the lyrics, but it'll actually be something else. But they, they know the song, they feel the song. It's a melancholy song. Well, the song is Hotel California. And it's called the National Hymn of El Salvador because it's all over the place. Yesterday when I got into my taxi to be taken to the airport, the first thing the taxi driver did was put on that song and crank it up and we, we sang it at full volume. The song is this odd mix of awe and nostalgia and, and terror. This is weird, you're not really sure what it means. There are all sorts of apocryphal interpretations of the song, but the eagles themselves have said that the song refers to the music industry in California and how once you're involved with them, it's, they entangle you and, and there's a sense of entrapment. And that's what that last song, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave, is about. eerie, nostalgic, strange song. And it reminds us, I think today, in light of the parable that's part of the gospel, of some of the ways that we entrap and entangle ourselves in purgatories of our own making, in torment of our own creation. When Jesus was teaching and preaching the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he was talking about a lot of things. And I think the most prominent among them is that if we are indifferent and so focused 
on self-gain or self-achievement that we stop seeing the need and the reality and the hurt of the world around us, then we are indeed in torment. I think that the parable is much more about the living than about the dead. I think Jesus uses images to scare us, but I think it's much more about the way we live, a call to repentance on how we live, a reminder that life is a gift of grace from God, and not so much about whether we're with the angels in torment in heaven. Sometimes we forget that God's prayer and hope for us is that we live a life of true meaning, helping each other with a reckless generosity that connects us, not creating walls that become chasms that are impossible to cross. One of the things I did in my trip was I brought a ton of photographs of uh, my friend. And, you know, in them were all our other friends who were still alive. And we spent a lot of time looking at these photographs and remembering different times in our life. And there were a lot of parties. We were in our 20s, a lot of eating, and a lot of sacrificial living. Rafa was the founder of an organization called Pro Busqueda. He founded it with two other people, and it's an organization that in 1994 began to search for all the children who had been either taken from their families during the Civil War or separated from their families in some way, usually during um, a, a military invasion of a town and started looking for these children that the families now were able to go to uh, different organizations and say, we want to know what happened to our kids, some as little as babes in arms. And to date, they've been able, it's a very painstaking process, and today, to date, they've been able to find about 450 children who were put in orphanages or adopted by the same people who had taken them, told that their families were dead. They've been able to do this kind of healing because people were willing to do the work, to go through the indifference of a, a structure, or the apathy, or the burnout after a civil war, and say, this is worth doing. I see these people and their pain and their suffering, and I will walk with them. So these photos that we, I, we were sharing were about that work and about a life really well lived. The writer Susan Sontag wrote about 
pictures that a, a photograph is both a pseudo-presence and a token of absence. A pseudo-presence and a token of absence. Of course, of course, those photographs did not bring Raphael back, but they did remind us, who were looking at them, that we didn't want to be absent in our lives comfortable in ways that the majority of the world cannot even imagine. We did not want to be absent from the hard struggles that alleviate the suffering and the poverty and the pain and the injustice of the world. And I think that's part of what the parable teaches us today. Yes, it's easy to look the other way. It feels good to gain a lot. But a life truly lived is a life of generosity and service and love and seeing, not avoiding the suffering. Not thinking that, oh, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing I can do. It will always be this way. There's too much. I'm overwhelmed. But a reminder that God has made us for each other, not just for ourselves. So this parable has many interpretations as well. And it raises the question in many ways, who are you in the parable? Who are you being asked to identify with? And it's a very hard question to answer. Certainly not the rich man who ends up tormented for all eternity. Certainly not the rich man who feasted every day sumptuously and ignored the hungry man with open sores that he passed every day at his gate. Certainly not the rich man who built walls of indifference that converted into chasms impossible to cross because his defenses were so well built. But even though Lazarus ended up with the angels, who would want to suffer the pain that he suffered? Who would want to be ignored by human beings with the power to help him? To be discarded as meaningless and worthless, except by the dogs that went to lick his sores. Actually, the dogs come out really well in this parable and our good advertisement for our animal blessing next week. Abraham has a hard job also. Nobody wants to condemn one of his children to a life of torment where he won't even, can't even give the rich man a drop of water to ease his pain. I think 
one of the ways we can look at how this parable is asking us to understand life is to focus on the brothers as well. Those who are still alive that have a chance of repentance, that have a chance of hearing Moses and the prophets and knowing the resurrection of Christ, repenting from a life of selfishness, of excuses, and serving with reckless generosity those who need it, a world that needs us to work for each other. Again, I think this parable is more about how we are called to live than how we are called to die. There's a theological argument about certain things in this parable. I think it's a a little bit of a false argument. On one hand is the discussion about works righteousness, and then the other is, is the life of pure grace. And this, for the works righteousness people, they say that if we do, if you do what um, the church or the temple or whatever your religion Um, says you should do if you go to church on Sunday, if you give a tenth of what you make, if you pray a certain amount of time every day, whatever it is that your religion says that you ought to do. If you do that, then you are essentially buying or guaranteeing God's favor with you. That because of what you do, You are guaranteeing the favor of the divine for you and for your life. And the other extreme of that is that no matter what you do, God's will for you is salvation and grace, and it's such a gift that no matter what you do, the only thing you have to do is open your eyes and receive that grace. But of course... It is out of a receiving and an awareness of the grace of God. It's out of grace that good deeds come. And there is no such thing as a life of grace where indifference reigns. There is no such thing as a life of grace where you walk by the person with open sores and blame him or ignore him. Or say, well, the dogs will take care of that. Out of grace, deeds grow. Out of grace comes mercy and kindness and generosity. And courage. I don't know the officer that was killed. I don't know why he was killed, Officer Dhaliwal. All I know is that that man, in some ways, had incredible courage. I read in the article that he had left um, 
job that was uh, um, where he made a lot of money to be a police officer and a, a liaison between the Houston Police Department and the Sikh community. I think what is a model for people of faith is the courage to be willing to walk into the differences and into the realities of hate and prejudice fully walk in. Turban and all, cross and all, love and all. And bridge those chasms that still exist so profoundly, even in a city that celebrates diversity. So how is God calling you to that courage, to that generosity to break down those walls of indifference. First Timothy says, as for those who in the present age are rich, commend them not to be haughty or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. It is said, it's a beautiful quote, that the glory of God is humanity fully alive. And to be fully alive is to recognize and respond to the grace and presence of God all around us. I love this quote. It says, whether we recognize it or not, as C.S. Lewis noted, the world is crowded with God. We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God who walks everywhere incognito and whose disguise is not always that hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend, in fact, to come awake. Sometimes we give in to the illusion that we cannot act. That, as that song Hotel California says, we can check out, but we can't leave. Whatever we do is useless, or it's a drop in the bucket. But today, Jesus, the rich man, Lazarus, Abraham, and even the dog invite us to a life fully alive, 